Okay, let's pray, and then we will get back to work. We'll just pick our message back up where we left off last time and, and trust the Lord to, to help us this morning. Father, we love you. God, we need you. Lord, help us to see how desperately we need you. Only you can enlighten our eyes and give us understanding. Only you, uh, you, have to, you have to give us insight into your word, or we'll come to wrong conclusions and and we'll be justified in, in ill and wrong behavior. And Lord, we ask that you'd take this time and use it to conform us more, just that much more to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, God, we ask for your help, not because we deserve it intrinsically, uh, but because we're yours. And you must be, Lord, we see it. We must be, you must be glorified over our lives. And so, God, we acknowledge you this morning. Direct us in your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we left off last night, you know, just looking at Ephesians 5, the companion passage to Colossians 3 here, and we saw that uh, we just jumped back up to verse 21, and we saw our need to submit ourselves one to another as it's fit in the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, the scripture says. And so that's kind of where we left off last night. Can you submit to your wife? Uh, she's another. <laughs> and it, you know, she's who God has given to you. And if, if you can't submit to your wife, well, why is that? And so the way we left it off last night is our submission has to be biblical. Okay? Anytime we're submitting in a way that, that now puts us in a place where we're rebelling against God's word, that's disaster. And the example we gave was Genesis chapter 3. Adam submitted to his wife. He submitted himself one to another, but it wasn't in the fear of the Lord. He did it. What he did put him in rebellion against God. And so the last thing that we looked at was Adam's submission to Eve was rebellion against God, and that was a disastrous life-taking decision. But then contrasting the first Adam with the second Adam, the last Adam, Christ esteemed us better in Philippians 2, and he did it in submission to God, and praise the Lord, that was a life-giving decision. Okay, so now that brings us to our relationship with our wife. We looked at the wives last night. Let's look at the husbands this morning. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So the command, love your wives. We were really talking about that last night when we looked at Ephesians 5.21-33. through 33. But because our wives, you know, it's just because our wives are people... Okay, because they're going to act uh, certain ways at certain times, you're going to be tempted to be bitter at your wife. And this is why the scripture commands you to not be bitter against your wife. Why? Because she's going to do some things that will make you in terms of the, the mind or the, uh, the, the ability of the flesh, the way that the flesh thinks, you will feel justified in being bitter against your wife. And, and so God commands us against it. Be not bitter against them. So get this down in your notes. Anytime you have bitterness, bitterness develops when you feel that others have wronged you. When you feel like you weren't treated the way you should have been treated, you weren't given what you should have been given, you weren't given the respect that you felt was due you, the deference that was due you, uh, the help that you felt like you needed. Somehow this person that God has in your life, uh, you picked her by the way, somehow this person that God has saddled you with has let you down. She's not met your expectations. She has wronged you, and now you're bitter. Bitterness is the result of unaddressed anger. That's your next blank. Bitterness is the result of unaddressed anger. A great example of that would be um, a lot of wives. A lot of women can be bitter because they've had to, I mean, they feel like they've had to give up on being a wife and a mother over the financial burden of buying stuff. In other words, trading babies for cars and the cares of this world is not a good trade, and yet so many young couples do just that. They'll say, we can't afford to have kids. Just let me just tell young men, let me just tell you, you'll never be able to be at a place financially where you can say, you know, I think I can afford kids. That will never happen. You can never afford to have kids. Just have them, okay? Trust God to make the way. I'd rather have... I'd rather have my kids living in a, in, a, in a single wide trailer, right, in a trailer park, than to have a bunch of junk 
I got big toys, I got a boat, and I got a car, and I got a nice house, but I don't have anybody calling me daddy. And then who's going to call me grandpa? You get what I'm saying? You will never afford children, and yet that's, what so, that's the mistake so many young couples make. We can't afford it right now. Let's wait. And here she is, designed by God to be a help meet. She's the only way you're going to get those babies, and she knows she's built for that. And, and so she's a good, I mean, our wives are so sweet. Yeah, we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. And when waiting turns, now I was married to, to a little bit of an anomaly. She's like, I don't think it's time to have babies yet. I mean, I was actually the one that was pushing for them when the time came. Uh, we, we were in that trap of, we, I don't think we can afford this. I don't know. How are we going to, you know, this is crazy. How much, you know, we just did a little research. How much does it cost to raise a kid? Holy smokes. <laughs> what, are they, what are they made out of that it costs this much to, to get one to maturity, you know? <sighs> Bringing Sophie home from the hospital. That was maybe one of the greatest days of my life, you know? Um. Yeah, no, you can't afford it. Just dive in, man. You don't need you don't need that you don't need that jet ski. You just don't have to have that. So she's she's given up babies for junk. Right? That jet ski's only gonna last a few years. She's given up babies for junk and and so that's a way our wives can end up bitter. Well, she didn't meet my expectations, and because she didn't meet my expectations, she's betrayed me, said the hypocrite. Guaranteed, we're not meeting our wives' expectations. We can't, because, uh, I mean, let's just face it, a lot of our expectations are unreasonable. She can't see that. You can see that, but she can't see that. Um, everybody, if they're looking, will find cause and justification for anger and bitterness in their life. This is why we're commanded in the Word of God, Hebrews 12, verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. That's the command in terms of how we're to roll in our relationships. And then here's the warning, verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Well, how did I end up bitter against my wife? Well, I wasn't following peace with her and holiness. I wasn't being diligent. I wasn't accessing the grace of God, and now this root, there's a taproot of bitterness that's, that's taken hold in my heart, and it's growing. And it's defiling my relationship with my wife, and by extension, those that we're connected to, many, right? This root of bitterness troubles me, and through this root of bitterness, many are defiled. And so just so you know where bitterness can end up, the warnings continue in Hebrews 12. Look at verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. Uh, your bitterness will put you in a place that you never thought that you would end up. Remember whenever you professed Christ as your Lord and Savior? Remember when you decided to be a disciple of Christ? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. Right? No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Right? I have decided to follow Jesus. And then next thing you know, you're an adulterer, you're a fornicator. You're... How did that happen? Well, according to Hebrews 12, you weren't diligent. A, root of, a taproot of bitterness took place in your heart. And you ended up justifying things that you never dreamt would be possible in your life. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. Well, God didn't give me what I, what I wanted, what I deserved. And so I deserved this other thing. I'll take this for myself. What does the Bible call Esau? Profane and a fornicator. So I didn't get what I think I deserve. And so I'm just going to go get what I can for myself. And, and uh, that's how so many pastors end up in adulterous relationships. They feel like, they feel like God ripped them off. In their pastorate, so in the burdens of ministry, the unreasonable expectations of people, whatever it is, the drama that's in the church, and, and the guy gets war-weary, and he feels like everything's against him in his heart. He's listening to the accuser. Maybe God's against me a little bit, too, and, and he's just getting set up ripe for a fall. Every, nothing's going right. He knows his Bible. He knows what's right. He know, it's not fair. That's what's in his heart. This is not fair. I'm not getting what I, what's happening? Bitterness. The pastor is getting bitter. (laughs) 
And then Satan's, he's, I mean, he just delivers the master stroke. Here she is. She adores him. She thinks he walks on water. He's all that, and he's a bag of chips. I mean, he's just delicious. And she's hanging on every word, and somebody now sees me for who I really am. And, and since I didn't get what I deserved in every other area of my life, I'll take this for myself, and I'm owed this. Do you see how satanically diabolical <laughs> that is? That is so warped and wicked. It's so inversely upside down and inside out. It's just jacked. I mean, that's just that's the only word I know, really. Jacked. It's jacked. I talked to a pastor. Uh, he was a, a, a friend of mine. And uh, he said, man, we're, we're pastoring. And, uh, you know, he says, I'm thinking, you know, God, God's, God's using. I think I just I need to, I need to force my pastor uh, to put me on staff. Uh, what do you think about that? I need to force the pastor to put me on staff. I'm like, whoa, slow your roll, bro. You're lusting for something that God hasn't given you. Do you know how dysfunctional the typical church staff is? Like, why do you want to work there anyway? God's using you. You're a lay pastor. Right now, you've got all the cards. You're holding all the power. You know, you, they had to put you on staff. You made them put you on staff. And so now you're the guy that they had to give a job to for the rest of your time. Don't do that, man. You're lusting for something God hasn't given you. God is your supply. He will make a way. Oh, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot. Fast forward just a few months later, and he's having an affair with his song leader's wife. Now, the song leader is a jerk, and the wife's discontented, and everybody's bitter about their circumstances, and so now we deserve this. What is it? The song's... All of the praise and glory belong to you. You deserve it. You des- I deserve it. I de- and it's abomination before the Lord. Esau, who sold for one morsel of meat, right? Who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. How profane. How many sell out their marriages for a moment of pleasure. God deliver us from a spirit of profane, licentious, and pornographic infidelity. I don't, my wife isn't making me happy. I deserve this. It's wicked. The, 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 the spirit, right, the engine that produces that mentality, it's bitterness in your heart, and it only took root because you were not diligent to keep moving forward in the grace of God. You weren't following peace with all men. You weren't following peace with your spouse. She's ready to scrap. You are too. You guys get sideways with one another. And pretty soon, you're justifying wickedness like it's logical. Verse 17 says, For you know how the afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Okay, so we ought to, I mean, that just, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. We're warned about bitterness and what it does in our relationships in Hebrews chapter 12. And the example that Paul gives is that of Esau. So we ought to just go check out his story. Uh, Let's look at Genesis 27. Let's look at Esau's root of bitterness. And surprise, surprise, this is actually the first mention of bitterness in our Bible. You know the law of first mention. Okay, so here's this word, bitter. Bitterness. How is, what is it, what is bitterness? What does it produce? How is it used in Scripture? Well, Genesis 27 is a gem then. <laughs> it says, It came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Genesis 27, verse 31. And he also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father, and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat, his sons, eat of his son's venison that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath, where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten of all, uh, all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. Now look at verse 34. And when Esau, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry. That's the first time this word shows up in our Bibles. 
And he said, unto him, he said unto his father, bless me, even me also, father. And he said, thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, said the moronic hypocrite that sold it. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy lord, and all his brethren have I given unto him for servants, and with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above, and by the sword shalt thou live and serve, and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have the dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. Verse 41, And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. Okay, at the end of the day, Esau got a blessing, didn't he? He got a blessing. It wasn't the blessing that he wanted. I didn't, I, yeah, I see, I'm blessed, but I'm, I didn't get what I think I deserve, what's due me. And so Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. Uh, talk about defiling many. The root of bitterness. He's crying with an exceeding bitter cry. He's lifting up his voice and weeping, and he's hating his brother over his brother's blessings. And as soon as dad is dead, I'll kill him. So here's the key. You want to get this down. When we hold a grudge or are bitter toward another person, we're effectively saying, you're not valuable enough to me, right? You're not valuable enough for me to care about working this out. There's some problem in our relationship. There's some problem between us, and I wish I could just throw you away. And a lot of people do that. So instead of keeping someone, instead of working out those problems... God's people throw those relationships. They throw people away. In the church today, you know, Jacob, he's like, as soon as, as, soon as the old man kicks the bucket and we're done with the, with the, with the wake, I'm going to slit my little brother's throat. I'll kill him. It's just flat out murder in his heart. Today, in the church today, we murder relationships. You've got people in churches that won't even talk to each other. Uh, Sister so-and-so sits on this side of the room. Sister Susie sits on that side of the room. Everybody's praising Jesus. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Just as long as so-and-so and and Susie don't have to sit together. They're not going to make eye contact. If they do, it's a hard glare. And this is the body of Christ. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen scenarios where it's so dysfunctional that pastors' wives on staff won't talk to each other. Uh, The pastors on staff, their wives won't even talk to each other. Uh, We murder relationships. You're not worth me working this out. I can't forgive it. I can't forbear it. I won't do Bible and come to you and get help working it out. Uh, You are dead to me. And that's in the church. You You got marriage relationships where husbands and wives won't even talk to each other. If the house was burning down and one spouse got out, you wouldn't wake the other one up. God, God help us. You got husbands and wives giving each other the cold shoulder. Oh, I tried to get in there, but the heat was too hot, and, and she's, oh, what am I going to do? And you already know what you're going to do. <laughs> I remember when, so I, I told you last night, my wife beat me to every phase. I'm a blessed man, okay? My wife beat me. You know those, those, those um, waypoints in your spiritual development, those those landmark moments where you get new insight into how your relationship with the Lord is supposed to work. That's my wife, man. She, she's beat me to everyone. <laughs> she's better than me. Uh, it's embarrassing. So we're married, and, uh, and uh, everything's great, you know, but then you start seeing all the flaws. You start seeing all the problems. Uh, all the frustrations start working out. People aren't, husbands and wives aren't meeting each other's expectations, it gets a little adversarial. Uh, there's arguments. Some things are you tell yourself. Some things are worth arguing about. I don't need to follow peace right here. I need to fight for my right. And uh, and uh, we had a. I mean, 
we were committed, okay? We're not going to say the D word, um, at least not that one. <laughs> but I came to the place where I'm like, God, I think you mu- I mean, if this keeps heading the way that it's heading, you're going to have to kill one of us. You're going to have to take one of us home. And uh, can I just point out all the things she's doing? <laughs> like, I remember, um, you know, again, we were committed to, to, to working it out, but there were some frustrations in terms of our expectations and how we were relating to, to one another. And I remember we kind of entered into a season of peace, and I wasn't like, man, we're actually doing pretty good. She's not mad at me all the time about stupid stuff that can't even be understood or fathomed, you know? And, uh, and, uh, I remember coming home from one month and from work one day, and my wife lit up when she saw me. Like she was, it, it clicked. Like she's happy. I'm home. Uh, she's not mad. I got home. She's happy. I'm home. Her face lit up when she saw me, and uh, she says, "Hey, take a load off. Supper's going to be ready in just a few minutes." Um, she had some question about supper. Do you want this or do you want that? And and she just seemed so excited to give me some food, you know, and I'm like, so I go in and I sit down and, and uh, I'm putting my stuff away and finally I'm like, wait a minute, something's wrong. I walk back into the kitchen and I'm like, who are you? And what have you done with my wife? And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, never mind, whoever you are, I don't want to know where the body's hid. <laughs> she says, what are you talking about? And so I told her what I told you. And she's like, oh, Oh, okay, yeah, no, now I understand what you're talking about, Sam. She says, I finally realized, this was a few, few weeks ago, I realized that you were never going to bring me contentment, that you were never going to get it together at a level where I could say, my contentment, I'm content because my husband is, here's my expectations. I realized you were never going to get it together. You were never going to be a source of contentment for me. And then I realized I was already married to the perfect man and that my contentment needed to be sourced in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and, so, and so basically the decision that I made was he's enough and that because of who he is in my life, that gives me the capacity to love my mess of a husband. And in a moment, it was one of those clarion moments, my eyes were open, and I'm like, she's 100% right. I mean, I just broke down weeping. I'm like, that's been my whole problem all along, is I've been waiting for you to be my source of contentment. And I haven't been just bitter toward her, I've been bitter toward the Lord this entire time. Instead of, instead of, demanding that she give me the rights, right, so that the expectations that are due me, except, except instead of me demanding that she fulfill those, I just need to draw an eye. I just need to get close to Jesus. I need to be the bride, right? I need to, I need to trust that Christ is enough, that he is my content. I can be content in Christ. And I'm like, my wife beat me to spiritual maturity, Yet again, in this other, in this complete critical area of Christian living, there's a story. You know. Well, let me just say this: if you're going to have a real relationship with someone, uh, you're going to have to learn how to forgive people. You're going to have to learn how to forgive and forget. And if it's something that I mean, some things you don't even have to forgive. We're commanded to forbear. We're commanded to put up with one another. Because people are going to rub us wrong. They're going to irritate us. They're going to add. You can just put up with that. It's nothing, right? You can forgive. You can forbear. If you can't do that, you're not going to be able to have a real functional relationship with anyone. Because everyone at some point is going to let you down. At any relationship, that other person's going to hurt you. They're going to betray you. They're going to whatever. They're, they're going to stab you in the back. They're going to be mean to you. Uh, they're going to be conceited, self-centered, whatever it is. You'll have in the flesh logical reasons to throw that relationship away. And 
and murder that relationship? Well, it's because you're bitter. Many Christians, uh, this is how the story goes, many Christians are like the woman who had been bitten by a dog and was advised by her physician to write her last wishes as she might succumb, uh, succumb to, to hydrophobia. She spent so long with the pencil and paper that the doctor finally remarked something about how long the will would be. It's a big will that she's writing out. And she says, will, she snorts, I'm writing a list of people I'm going to bite. Uh, just... <laughs> And that's how people, so many people end up just bitter and angry. They've got, they've got a grudge and they've got ought against everybody that they know in their life because they're not following peace. They're failing of the grace of God. So husbands, how do you view your wife? How do, you, how, how do we work out issues with them, with our wives? Uh, we kind of have to because she's the only one that God gave us. Uh, it's not like you have a harem. She's all that God has given you. So you got to learn how to work out problems. Uh, you got to learn how to, how to make do. But better yet, can we learn how to thrive with our bride? And so I want us to look at Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 23. And I think one of the things that will help us is how does the bridegroom view us as the bride? How does Jesus view you? How does he work out problems with you? Haven't we all been selfish where Christ is concerned? Haven't we all betrayed him? Haven't we all been a horrible bride at one point or another? And his mercies are new every morning, aren't they? Um, Every day is a new start with Jesus. And so, well, look at what the Bible says. Proverbs 5, verse 15. Drink waters out of thine own cistern. And running waters out of thine own well. In other words, be faithful to your wife, verse 15. Or or here would be another title for verse 15. Be a one-woman man. Don't drink from other wells, other waters. Verse 16 is likely a reference to the children that are a result. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and the rivers of waters in the streets. Let Let them be only thine own and not a stranger's with thee. So how do you keep your family with you, right? Verse 15, drink waters out of thine own cistern. Drink out of your own well. I need my wife with me. Well, I need to invest. Again, I'm the, I'm the provider. I'm the keeper. I'm the garter, right? I'm the gardener. I'm the husbandman. So check this out, verse 18. Let thy fountain be blessed. That's how you keep her with you. You, you. you let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. And be thou ravished always with her love. Uh, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 7 too, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. So what, what, what's the prescription in verses 18 and 19? You blast away bitterness with contentment with your wife. Uh, contentment with is your next blank. You, you, you don't make room for bitterness because you're invested in the relationship. Let the fountain be blessed. Rejoice with her. Let her be a, 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 this place. Let her be this person of satisfaction for you. And notice the benefit of, of drinking Waters at home. In other words, this is, a, this is imagery for the, the, the sex life that you have with your bride. Um, study after study shows that, you know, monogamous relationships, the sex life isn't limited. It's actually enhanced uh, when a husband and wife are devoted to one another, uh, when they're only with and for each other. In terms of sexual fulfillment, that enhances the sexual relationship. Study after study shows that happily marrieds have more and better sex than any player at any place in the world using any platform, any app. You're going to get more quality time, if I can use that phrase, than any dog out there just sniffing tail, sniffing hiney out in the world. You have more and better intimacy with your wife than the biggest playboy the world's ever produced. And it actually, the studies show, it increases your life. 
your lifespan. The, the typical happily married couple will live on an average of anywhere for, from, from three to seven more years. I mean, so not only are you having a better intimate relationship with your spouse, but you've got more time in which to have it. I mean, it's just win, win. All I do is win, 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 never stop. Yeah, like, praise the Lord. That's the benefit of drinking at home. Again, from, your water's the well, okay? Everybody's with me. I don't, Joe's betting I'm going to actually explain the birds and the bees, but I'm, I, I just, if we can just keep going, that would be great. Proverbs 18.22, Whosoever findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor from the Lord. Hallelujah, somebody. I mean, it's true. This, there's some rich imagery here. The illustration that this should invoke is when you're thirsty. I mean, really thirsty. You've been working hard. Uh, you're tired. Your flesh is craving something. You are very thirsty. Nothing satisfies in that moment like a glass of cold water, pure water. Nothing's like that. My flesh has need. I am so hot. I am so thirsty. I am starving to have my, my thirst quenched. And then you get that water. And you, you know what I'm talking about. You've had those moments where you can't gulp the water down fast enough. And it tastes so good. You were so desperate for it. Nothing satisfies like a cold, clean glass of water. You gulp it down, it's so good. Well, that's your bride. That's an illustration of the actual thing, and the actual thing's actually better. And notice you want fresh water from your spring to satisfy your thirst, not what's found running down the gutter, right? You want the water from your well, not what you find running down the gutters of the streets out in public. Song of Solomon 4, verse 12, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Verse 15 says, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. And so your wife is a source of life and fulfillment, not not some object to be used for personal satisfaction. No, she is an, I mean, she's your life, two become one, right? She's your help meet. She's a source, I mean, it's it's a source of continual renewal. Uh, it's It's a spring, Genesis 3.20, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. She's this well of living waters, right? A fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, streams from Lebanon. She's Eve. She's your helpmeet. And so the marriage bed is designed for meeting the need of sexual fulfillment. Hebrews 13, verse 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. I mean, you're drinking crud out of the gutter. That's not good. Song of Solomon 4, verse 10. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse? How much better is thy love than wine and the smell of thine ointments than all spices? Okay, so what happens if she's not meeting your expectation? Your expectation. It's amazing. You know, again, we talked last night about new love versus old. Uh, that new relationship versus old problems, uh, new ideals, old problems. Okay, what happens now? I see all the problems. I see all the flaws. Okay, somebody, I've heard different people say this different ways over the years, but it's, it basically goes like this. It's amazing to see how often a marriage ceremony changes a man from one who can see no fault in his fiance to one who can see no good in his wife. Wives marry thinking that they can change their husbands into the man that they want him to be. And husbands marry thinking that their wives will never change. Both are dead wrong, catastrophically wrong. And too many look around to find what's missing in their mate. And they end up looking in the gutter for a little swig. And it's destruction. Here's the problem with pornography. You're you're looking, you're, you're trying to get satisfaction from the gutter. A swig from the trash running down the streets of this world. Okay, here's the problem with pornography. It's messing up your ability to look at your wife right. So that's the problem. I look at her, man. I mean, 30 years has been rough. Okay, what's happening? Uh, You haven't been moving with your wife. 
You can't look at a, at a different co-ed every day and expect to look at your wife properly. Amen. You're warping your mind with that. You're not renewing your mind. So let me just, not, uh, let me just talk to, to you about it just on a practical, tactical level, okay? I'm not here to beat anybody up necessarily. I just want you to think in terms of the long-term gain, uh, the long-term game. If you're looking at a different co-ed every day, you're looking at pornography. So you, how, how are you training your mind? How are you training your heart to be a one-woman man? Because in your heart, in your mind, you're developing this harem. And anybody that gets addicted to pornography and they're regular users of pornography, it's not like they have that one pinup that they're lusting over for till death do we, uh, till death, death or house fire parts us, right? Nobody's faithful to one point of pornography. No, that is, uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg and it's ever growing. Uh, it never satisfies. No one has intercourse with a different 20-year-old every night. That's warped. See, your taste in what a woman is supposed to look like is supposed to move with your maturity. So I think I'll give an example that everybody can understand. When I was in junior high, that's when I first started waking up. And uh, there was a couple girls in the class that, that had started developing. And, and um, I'm like, why do I feel funny when I look at them? Because uh, I love looking at them. They're just beautiful. And there's just two or three of these girls. And it's like, I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to be chill. But you know how, you know. <laughs> it's like, I can't stop looking at them. Um, and, and then it starts over time, it starts clicking. I'm like, Oh, they're very attractive. They're very good looking. These three 13 year olds are hot. And that's all I can think about are 13 year olds. Why? I'm 13. Do you see that? Now, if I'm today, if I'm looking at 13 year olds and saying, that's hot. Okay. I need to be in jail. You see that? That's called pedophilia, and people need to be prosecuted. Those people need to be <laughs> prosecuted, and they need professional help. Okay, so something happened from 13 to 53. What happened over the last 40 years? Well, I'll tell you what happened. I grew, and I matured. In high school, by the time I was in high school, man, the high, this is some of those high school girls that were smoking hot, and there were a few of the college, college girls scared the tar out of me. They looked like old women, you know? But there were a few that were like, mm, well, older women are beautiful. Okay. But I'd look at the junior high girls, and I'm like, those stupid kids. Like, I didn't see them as an option on the menu. Why? Well, because I'm a sophomore, man. I'm cool. Okay. By the time I get to college, okay, now I'm with college people. I'm in, I'm at co- I mean, the college girls look great. And the high school girls look like little kids. But it was just a few years ago. They were like, all I could think about, what happened? What's happening is, is I'm maturing. Now, there were some girls out of college. You know, the older you get, the broader the spectrum actually does work. There were a few of those college girls, or a few of the girls out of college, a few of the young adults that were like, whoa. But again, most of them looked way too old. They were a little bit scary to me. Okay, so then as I grew... My, my taste in what is attractive grew. Okay, are you tracking with me? So I marry Cheryl. She's got the stereotypical hourglass figure. Um, She's got all the right junk in all the right places. And I'm, I'm very attracted to what she looks like. Well, over the years, what has happened? Well, we've had three kids. Um, we've been through phases of eating trash and and reaping what we've sown. <laughs> I mean, we've been through all of that. If I'm still looking at college girls every night, how am I going to see my wife for who she really is? Do you see that? My taste is supposed to mature. In other words, those babies come. My tastes are supposed to mature, and I'm supposed to be all into a baby body. You get what I'm saying? The woman who had the baby, that body, Okay. <laughs> It's supposed, you're, you're, you're supposed to have eyes only for your wife. And then you're, you're going you're gonna to see, I'm, 
you guys know what I'm talking about. I still see the girl that I married in my wife. There's that component of our relationship where she's still my bride. She's my virgin. Um, I, I, I see the girl that I married, but I wouldn't train the woman that is my wife for that girl for a minute. I mean, I've been married to a lot of different women. All of, her, all of their names were Cheryl. And, and the Cheryl that I have now is the best. I wouldn't trade. I'll joke with her. I'll be like, ah, I'd trade you for the bride maybe for, you know, five minutes. But no, I, it's, a, it's a bad joke, you know. I wouldn't trade her. Um, she gets better and better. She is aging well. Kids are supposed to be attracted to kids. Adults to adults. And geriatrics are supposed to get turned on by the wrinkles, man. I mean... It's like, you got, your wrinkles are doing something for me, you know? I know, to a, I know to a high school kid, you look like a bag of dust, but girl, you got it going on, <laughs> you know? So how can I go from the place in Proverbs 18 from thinking, I found the favor of the Lord, I found a good thing in my wife, to bitterness against our wives? Well, for a lot of guys, it's really on this level. She really let herself go. Well, have you spent quality time in front of a mirror? Because the older you get, it's not like you're going to be winning any fitness modeling competitions. See, the principle is love your neighbor as yourself, okay? Um, in one of those phases where we were eating what we wanted and we were reaping what we sowed, I, I, what, what opened my eyes was I saw a photograph of me asleep. My wife took a picture of me asleep, and I'm like, what's that thing hanging out? And I got four chins, and, you know, and, and so I'm fat, my wife's fat, and I'm like, what happened? And, and uh, you know, before I wanted Cheryl to work out so that she wouldn't get flat and flimsy, I wanted, to, I wanted my wife to be hot, right? And my fear was I'm going to end up married to Jabba the Hutt. And sure enough, we end up, we're, we're both Jabba the Hutt. And then I matured, right? I grew in my relationship with the Lord and with my wife. And, and then I started actually loving my wife. And I just wanted her to be fit and I wanted her to be help, healthy. Uh, I just wanted her to do well. I wanted her to be healthy, happy, and taking life head on. She became convinced that I actually love her and I want her to stick around. And, and so she started working out. Uh, you, here's the key. You love, right? You want to live where you invest. You say, I've got problems with my wife. Start loving her and investing in her. Start treasuring her. And guess what? You'll see her for the treasure that she is. And treasure is always attractive. And, and, and so, you know, here's at the end of the day. You may be saying, man, babies have wrecked her body. But that was all you, man. You did that. That was you that changed her body shape. And praise the Lord for it. And, and at the end of the day, right, the, mothers of your, uh, the, the mother of your babies, man, I mean, well, she can look amazing. I mean, that's, uh, that's attractive. See, we can lead our wives to take faith, and, 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 and they can be fit because you're in it together. Uh, you can carry extra pounds and still be healthy and, and, and still be attractive. And that may make you the happiest, right? I mean, again, you, you do you. Uh, but at the end of the day... You should, Paul says, I keep under my body. Exercise profiteth little. Oh, so don't, well, no, it does actually profit a little. And the American Medical Association agrees with that. They say you need seven hours of exercise a week if you're going to properly maintain your body's fitness. I never quite seem to make seven hours a week. Um, but, you know, I don't ever miss any meals. It's amazing how I make time for the, the things that got me here. Uh, but, I, but I'm I do have to keep under my body. I do need to eat well. I need to work out because I need to take care of my wife in her old age. I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to nurture her. I need to keep, I need to tend and keep her. A lot of people blame Hollywood and Photoshop as the reason that they can never get it together. Man, just... Jump out of Ben and Jerry's and take your wife for a walk, yeah. right? Go, you, you, you know, take, take regular walks and talks with your wives. Uh, exercise together. Uh, that, by the way, I really blew that one early on in our marriage relationship. 
I was all into working out when we got married and, and I wanted her to keep a lifestyle of fitness. And so we're working out and I'm trying to, I'm trying to encourage her like I would encourage one of my buddies, one of my guy friends. And you can't yell at your wife and say, it's called a workout, not a hangout. You know, you can't do stuff like that and keep her actually, the only reason your wife would ever work out with you is to spend time with you. So milk that, right? Be with her while you're working out. Okay, so for whatever that's worth. <laughs> you don't want to be a drill sergeant when you're working out with your wife. You blame your mate for letting you down instead of choosing forgiveness. Instead of investing in the relationship. Think about Esau. When dad's dead, I'll kill him. So get this down in your notes. Unforgiving people always end up bitter. So whatever's happened in the relationship, forgive it and just start investing. Don't allow bitterness to grow in your heart. Just forgive it and start investing. So what you want to do is you want to just go on a fast. Look only at your wife. And man, look at her. You say, well, I've got a great compulsion. Pornography's got a hold on me. Well, be up front. Get mentally fent, right? Make the decision. Your doctor has put you on fast before, and you thought you couldn't stop eating for a day for this, that, or the other, and then you found out you could, right? Go on a fast. Look only at your wife. Show up to the gym of your marriage every day. Look at her. Notice what you saw when you married her. Look at her. Be amazed. This is your woman. She is your treasure. And she will grow in attractiveness as you renew your mind. So let me give you a verse that functions as a principle for so much of life. Proverbs 27, 7 says, The full soul loatheth in honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. I mean, man, if it's been long enough, you don't even need beer goggles to appreciate your wife's assets. Some of you will put together what I just said a day or two from now. Just think about it. Uh, the full soul loathes the honeycomb. Well, honeycomb's good. Wait, I don't want it. Why? Because I'm full. Don't waste your mind and your heart and your time in the gutter. Work out in the gem of your marriage. Be vested in her. Focus on your own well. And it'll be sweet. So the conclusion regarding the biggest problem with pornography is this. Uh, 520 says, why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman? So it's stranger danger, right? Why would you embrace the bosom of a stranger? And the reasons people do are many. The exotic, the forbidden, the new. It's enticing, and it's all wrong. Hebrews 11.25 says there's pleasure in sin for a short season. But people get frustrated at home because they're weak. It drives them away. At some point, you have to decide you're going to man up and you're going to lay down your life investing in her. Don't be a wimp. Don't be a victim. Well, she did this, she did that, and, and that's how it's abused me or that's how it's victimized me. No, you're the man. God didn't make you. He didn't design you to be a victim. You're a victor in Christ. So man up, speak truth and love, and decide that she matters more than you. Okay, how do I speak truth and love? A lot of people are like, I love her, so I'm going to tell her the truth. And really what you mean by that is that, that gives me a license to be a jerk and put her in her place. Speaking the truth in love means even the hard conversations, my wife is going to see that my heart yearns on her. I love her. I want her to do well. I want her with me. I want to make sure that she knows I'm with her. So these conversations have to be from the heart, and they're for her blessing. They're for her good. In other words, speak the truth in love is not licensed to chew somebody out. Uh, my chewing you out is proof that I love you. Uh, no, probably you're just being authoritarian. You're an abuser. You're whatever, okay? Uh, be careful with that. Verse 21, temptation versus action. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. At the end of the day, God, and we talked about this last night, God sees how we're relating with our wives, and we're going to give an account. The eyes of the Lord are before, the, eyes, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Job 34.21, the eyes of God, right, for his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. So he sees where you're investing your heart. He sees where you're drinking. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. 
people hide in the dark to sin because they think no one can see them, no one will know. That's just a big lie. God sees it all. Jeremiah 16, 17 says, For my eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. Neither is their iniquity hid from my eyes. So all are tempted, and that's your next blank. All have sexual need, legitimate sexual need. How's it going to be fulfilled legitimately? Well, God made that way of escape, and that's your marriage bed. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. This is so especially grievous when God, right, to God, when he sees his child ignore his warnings and then go to the gutter and willfully commit sin. The wages of sin is death. Look at Proverbs 5.22. His own iniquities shall the... Shall the wicked, uh, his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. In other words, you decide where you're going to live your life. Is it going to be the well at home, <laughs> that fountain of gardens? Will it be at home, or is it going to be the, the trash running down the gutter? You will reap what you sow. You will get what you sign up for, and, and you've got to recognize that sin Sexual sin is a compounding trap. Compounding is your next blank. In other words, you can never be satisfied with illicit sexual sin. It never fulfills. You'll, 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 have the, you'll have the idea of fulfillment, but it's just for a moment. Its grip on you grows. And what started out as soft porn today ends up in, well, it can end up to death or jail sentences. The pursuit of the perverse, it grows in intensity, it grows in frequency, it grows in wickedness. It always takes more to temporarily satisfy, and it leads to destruction. And the, way, and the reason it has such a hold on men in particular is because God designed us to be sight machines, okay? We're, 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 we're sight hounds. We see and we pursue. That's how we're designed. So get accountable on that. Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Um, the Lord give you wisdom, but I'll just tell you how he led me with my bride. Um, I, I don't want to, when I, she's my, Cheryl is my help me. I have legitimate need in my life. There's a mission that I'm supposed to fulfill with my life. And, and this is why God has Cheryl at my side, and, and, and one component of need is, like any man, would be 1 Corinthians 7, right? To avoid fornication, I, I'm going to have my own wife. I don't, I don't tell my wife, so we get married, I don't tell my wife, um, hey, let me tell you every wicked thing I've ever done in intense graphic detail. Um, I don't want her to run for the hills, but it's very critical that she understands what a man's battle is and how I think and what the points of temptation are. Does that make sense? In other words, I want you to know me because you're my help me. And, man, that has been wonderful. That has produced so many dividends. Um, <laughs> there's been a couple times where we've gone through life and we're together and my wife just goes, <laughs> uh, that's my eyes. She's just, <laughs> or she'll say, "Hey, let's uh, check out this." Okay, so she knows me. Now I had to, I had to be vulnerable. I had to trust her, and I had to share my weakness with her. Does that make sense? And now my wife is not my accuser; she's my helpmeet, and she's not, she's not angry with me with my weakness. No, she's there to make up the gap. Oh, man, can I just tell you, that is so precious to me. That's so valuable to me. That I don't have to hide who I am from my wife. I don't have to hide my past from my wife. She knows. I'm her beloved, and I'm accepted. Man, that's powerful. Some guys have made the mistake of going into graphic detail about all the wicked sins that they've committed. Any girl in her right mind would run from you. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, so she needs to understand your nature so she can be your help me. Um, 
be careful how you communicate to your wife. That can make more problems than it can help the Lord give you wisdom. If you're thinking, you know, I, I, need, I do need to get real with my wife. Um, run it by your pastor, maybe. Get some counsel. It's like, no, I think if you say it that way, bro, you're going to torch your home. You're going to torch your marriage. It will go up in flames. You know, let me coach you. Or I don't know. So sorry, guys, if I put more work on you. But our wives need to know us. I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Wrong looking, it leads to wrong thinking. Wrong thinking leads to wrongdoing. And wrongdoing leads to death. He shall die without instruction. Verse 23. So here's the key. You want to be a real man and invest in a real relationship with one real woman. That's the objective. Be a real man, invest in a real relationship with one real woman, not some fantasy that you have online. Looking for love in all the wrong places, according to verse 23, is death. It's death from a... I mean, whether it's a death from a possible right relationship to physical death itself, think STD, if you're drinking out of the gutter, that can kill you. Again, marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. You say, well, yeah, pastor, I hear everything that you're saying, but you just don't know how much is lacking and wanting with my wife. Okay, that may be true. The solution is you invest. You lay down your life loving and investing in your bride. You worry about you being conformed to the image of Christ and then let God worry about his daughter. You fulfill your role and lay down your life keeping, tending, and keeping her. Be the gardener, right? You, a, a, a simple illustration would be you love whatever you invest in. I don't know. Maybe you bought that first house or you finally bought your dream house and it's a fixer-upper. Well, the work that you put into it to make it what you envision, that grows your estimation of value in that object. Okay, so maybe you buy an old car and you fix it up. And by the time you've, you've sunk hundreds of hours into that car fixing it up, you love that car. Like, you may be embarrassed by the fact, but you actually love it. Why? Because you poured so much of your life, your effort, your energy was poured into making it something beautiful. Well, there's the picture of Christ laying down his life, investing everything into us so he may present us to himself a beautiful, glorious, spotless bride. Why does he love us so much? Because he put his whole life into us. Well, guess what? That's how God hardwired you. If you pour your life into your bride, you won't be able to count the ways that you love her. Because that's where you've made the investment. That's where you've poured your life into. Invest. People that, again, the illustration of the garden. Some people love their gardens. By the way, Adam is a husbandman. Remember how he was going to eat his bread? It's by the sweat of his brow. Remember that? Which means being a husbandman, being a husband is what? It's hard work. If you're going to get that fruit out of that relationship, it's, it's going to take an investment on your part. So don't have unrealistic expect, expectations. Don't be a hypocrite. Um, you want to keep the marriage fire going, that's going to keep constant refueling. So it's like this, okay? Uh, if I'm looking at my wife and saying, my contentment is sourced in you, and you're not meeting my expectations, and so now bitterness is growing in my heart, what's going to happen is trying to get what we want out of life in terms of fulfillment and contentment, peace, joy, love, the things that are supposed to come from the Lord, because my spouse is not providing them, I'm growing increasingly bitter against my spouse. And if she is in kind doing the same thing, what's that doing? I'm trying to get something from you, but instead the way I'm going at it is actually driving us apart. So what do I have to do? I have to turn my eyes. I've got to fix my eyes on Jesus. I need to look full on his wonderful grace. Okay, so I need to let the issues here grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So I need to draw nigh to the Lord. And as I grow close to the Lord, right, as I draw near to God, he's drawing near to me. And if my spouse, who I'm going to tattle on, by the way, Lord, the hot mess I'm married to, that's your daughter, you need to know. 
In other words, I'm going to pray fervently for her, but I'm not going to try to be the Holy Spirit in her life. I'm not going to try to be her subconscious. I'm not going to, tr- I'm not going to be authoritarian. I'm just going to fulfill my role, and I'm going to be who God called me to be in her life, and then I'm going to trust the Lord with my wife's heart. I'm going to tend. I'm going to keep. I'm going to function as a gardener. But, it's, but, but in terms of my spiritual fulfillment, my spiritual growth, my spiritual contentment, that can only be sourced in my relationship with the Lord. Now, if my wife does the same thing and she draws nigh to the Lord, what's happening? We're not driven apart anymore. We're one new man in Christ. Do <laughs> you see that? Um, how did that happen? Why, are, why is my wife and I, why are our hearts on the same page? Why are we moving together in life? Well, because Christ is our life. If we're drawing near to Jesus, by definition, we're drawing near to one another. I don't know man after the flesh. I need to know my wife in the person of Christ. The result of bitterness, again, Hebrews twelve fifteen. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. If she's not giving you what you want, bitter. If she's not treating you how you want to be treated, bitter. And then you've got husbands that do the same thing that women do. Your wife hacked you off so you won't talk to her. You give her the cold shoulder. That'll teach her. She has no clue why you're being a jerk. <laughs> you're just being a jerk. How can people cling to bitterness? Well, I told her off. She ought to know better now. And so angry words drive her heart away from being with you. How do you cling to bitterness? It never solves anything. If you keep reading in Hebrews chapter 12, I mean, we get the example of Moses now before God at Mount Sinai. And his conclusion is, in the presence of the Lord, he says, I exceedingly fear and quake. I see God for who he is, and it makes me pee a little. Exceeding fear and quake. And so today, we're living bitter. I mean, Moses says, I'm, I, I peed my pants seeing what God did to a mountain. And we're living bitter before a Lord who will shake the heavens and the earth. And we don't exceeding fear and quake. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. Don't fail of the grace of God. Dig out that root of bitterness that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. I think in some marriages, we just got to repent. We got to decide, I'm going to love my wife. Bitterness is not Christ. It's not Christian. James 3, 3, uh, James 3 11 says, Doth a fountain... Send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter. This bitterness coming out of my life, that's not Christ. Where does it come from? Well, it's coming from the flesh. It's unmet expectations. Right? Romans 7, in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. What do we do with the flesh? Well, the Bible tells us to put it to death, mortify it. Its will isn't running the show anymore. What does that look like in a marriage? Well, we saw that last night, Ephesians 5.25. Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Just go all in, sanctifying and cleansing and washing of the water of the word. Go all in on investing in your bride to present her glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The quickest route to you having your dream wife is you dying to your expectations from her, over her, die to it all, and just give yourself to loving your wife. It'll change the way you see her. It'll change, it'll absolutely change the way she sees you. Well, there's some stuff she's got to get right. Man, just die already. Just die. Love her. You will love what you invest in. Matthew six twenty one says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Robert Mueller says it this way, only the brave knows how to forgive. A coward never forgives. It's not in his nature. Some of you, you're mad at your wife, you can't forgive her. You'll never get anywhere with that. You're being a chicken, not God's chicken. You don't even taste good. Be brave. Repent. Right? I want God to answer my prayer life. 
I'm not, we saw this last night, if I'm not right with God, or if I'm not right with my wife, I'm not right with God. I don't want my prayers hindered. I don't want anything to get in the way of a right relationship with my Father. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for my brothers that you would strengthen them, renew them, strengthen them, that they might give themselves to the role, to the responsibilities that they have as husband. Lord, help them to say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Lord, help them to, to, to go all in on the gem of their marriage, uh, to fast uh, with eyes only for their bride. Lord, help us because, Lord, you see the world that we live in. We're all a lot. Our righteous souls are, are vexed in the wicked places we live. Uh, pornography's on the billboards. We can't, we can't not see it. And, and so, Lord, help us to just continually renew our mind, to agree with you, Lord, to, to continually be refocused on who this woman is that you placed in our lives. Lord, help us to be people that decide we're going to lead, we're going to love our wives, we're going to lead our wives, we're going to give ourselves to making sure that, 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 that our wives are prospering, that they're blessed, that they have what they need. Lord, help us to communicate and live, so live that our wives know that our hearts yearn on them that we love them. And then, Lord, let the children that come up arise and call them blessed for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.